1: Hey friends, welcome back to the Common Good, AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us today. So Jerry Falwell Jr., for those of you who are unaware, was the president of the largest evangelical college in the country, that being Liberty University, also the son of Jerry Falwell Sr., Uh, Known very much as, uh, you know, he was the head of the moral majority back in the day. He started liberty. He was kind of a force in evangelicalism in the 80s and the 70s. Uh, and Jerry Falwell Jr. Uh, went through a lot of scandal, a lot of stuff. Uh, any of you who've listened to the podcast called Gangster Capitalism, you've learned way too much information oh, about my, haven't Jerry, you? About Jerry Falwell you? Jr., about his wife, uh, about the school, about all this stuff. Uh, and so it's all been kind of – it's been kind of quiet. What's Jerry Falwell doing? And, Aubrey, he gave an interview the other day, and this is what I wanted to talk about. He gave an interview at Vanity Fair the other day uh, – entitled Inside Jerry Falwell Jr.'s Unlikely Rise and Precipitous Fall at Liberty University. And then it goes on to say, uh, talks about his, um, you know, uh, his uh, presidency at Liberty, all that went on. It describes the events that led to his ouster, their fallout, and why he's finally ready to admit he he never had much use for his father's church anyway. Wow. In this interview, Aubrey— Jerry Falwell Jr. says this. He says, because of my last name, people think I'm a religious person, but I'm not. So finally, he's gone on record to say, uh, people have only ever thought of me as a religious person because of my last name is Falwell. Can I state the obvious here, Aubrey? (laughs) Please, why don't you? People thought he was a religious person. Because he was the president of the largest evangelical Christian college in the nation.
2: Exactly, exactly. I don't think
1: anybody would have said, well, oh, Jerry Falwell Jr. kind of rejected his father's faith, but he's a Falwell, so he must be. No, people, he was the president of the largest institution of evangelicalism, uh, largest college institution whose mission is this, developing Christ-centered men and women. And so the only reason people thought that Jerry Falwell Jr. and had such a problem with his actions, whether it be around with stuff with Trump or stuff with extramarital affairs or whatever else, money, whatever else it might be, is because that's what he ran. And now he's like, I've never been a religious person. And Aubrey, I think the question, Sky Jatani brought this up in a tweet. I think the obvious question is this, why did Liberty's board think he was right. religious in the first place right. or did they know this whole time? Right. And that this was going forward there's there's bigger leadership questions Aubrey but this is this is dumbfounding is it not?
2: I eat, uh- I just don't buy it. I mean, that's that's what I'm going to be frank about. I think he probably at one point in his life was a religious person. Mm. Certainly his private life and his wife's private life beg the question of how long that was actually accurate or not. There was clearly no integrity. But he let people think He was an evangelical Christian, period. I mean, just by nature of that role, by nature of things he said in his chapel. And look, I didn't follow Liberty, but I've seen enough coverage, especially after listening to uh, gangster capitalists. uh, Yeah, capitalism that he um, he preached in his. In his own chapel services. He evoked scripture. like So I I honestly don't buy this. I think this is a PR grab for Vanity Fair to make him and his wife look cool, to separate themselves from their family. The world is going to accept them now while now it's going to make Christianity and and evangelicals look bad. I, I think this is... I you're think calling this is BS on this, you're calling petty, garbage on this shallow thing. garbage. Now I don't. Here, I'm not trying to say, oh yes, he really is a religious person, because mm-hmm. clearly his private life showed he wasn't. But I am saying the man, like the the argument makes it seem like, oh, people just assumed unfairly that because he was a follower, he was a Christian. No, 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 no. He <laughs> allowed people to to think that about him. For decades, like this is just a joke. The fact that Vanity Fair even took the time to cover this story makes me want to vomit. Like, I think this is just absolutely ludicrous.
1: Got to sell the magazine. So what did he do at Liberty? And this is where I think they made a deal with the devil. Probably they were in a bad spot uh, near bankruptcy. And it says he transformed the nonprofit university into a financial powerhouse with more than 100,000 students and a 1.7 billion with a B dollar endowment. Uh, But then it all blew up. Aubrey, I think we get a look into his soul with the following quote. I think the guy's got daddy issues. He wrote this. He said this. Because of my last name, people think I'm a religious person, but I'm not. Ready for it? My goal was to make them realize I was not my dad. I think this is just a young boy trying to get out from underneath his father's uh, shadow. And I think... I think you make a wonderful point. He it wasn't other people holding him up as a religious person. It was him. He was the in many ways the self appointed gatekeeper for yes. who was gonna get the evangelical Christian if you exactly. could see me I'm using air quotes vote in the two thousand and sixteen election. Yeah. Right. That's why all the people went down and spoke at Liberty University, because they needed Jerry Falwell Jr.'s yeah. blessing. Yeah. And and it just goes on and on. And, Aubrey, I think you're right. I think it's ludicrous. I, I worry what his kids are going to think yes. about, that. although they probably know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it, it's it's really going to be difficult, Aubrey. But what does this teach us about churches? What does this teach us about educa- high, uh, you know Christian higher education Uh, And academia, what does this teach us about um, Christian media, about what is necessary at the head of it, regardless of what it's going to look like successfully? I think this is yet another thing about uh, character is really all that matters in our leaders.
2: You know, it's interesting. There's underneath this article on Twitter that Sky Jathani, he he tweeted the article. Underneath it, a guy named Leonard Small, who I don't know who he is, but he just responded with three things that I think are interesting. He said, one, ministry should never be the family business. Now, I don't know if I agree with that wholeheartedly, but I will say what we've seen from um, uh, like the Ravi Zacharias scandal and some other things is when... When uh, uh, these things are just passed down family to family, when family's on the board, it seems like a lot of corruption is allowed to get uh, uh, is allowed to happen that wouldn't happen in other places. Mm. Um, then he says, "Never endeavor to invest in the spiritual life of others while bypassing the closest lives to you." Obviously, mm. he. He was investing in the spiritual life of his students, but not investing his own spiritual life or his family's spiritual life. And then he says, that which is done in the dark, dot, dot, dot. And I Mm. I think the last point being like, and to answer your question, just integrity matters above all else. And I I don't know how to say this strongly enough. I don't know how we make the change. But I have – this is anecdotal, so maybe not fair. But I have a friend who was a student at Liberty when he was the president, and she says she says things like, Oh yeah, everybody knew. Oh Ooh. yeah, there were rumors going around. Oh, yeah. And just the fact that like where there's smoke, there's fire. I just think we have to get better as churches, as institutions, especially who bear the name of Jesus to make sure like who cares who the family member is? Who cares what power they have? That's right. If they don't have integrity, like they're out. I'm sorry. The name of Jesus is at stake. And I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm not saying you're perfect. But there's a difference between perfection and uh, – uh, sorry. There's a difference between a lack of integrity mm-hmm. and perfection.
1: I think that's – you're you're roaring today, right? Back from COVID. You're roaring. Today <laughs> back. It is. Uh, how many – I feel like if nothing else, one of the things that this show can do is to tell people character and integrity matter more than yeah. how big your school is, how big your church right, is, right. how big your endowment is, the charisma of the leader, the likes you get on social, whatever else it might be. The character of the leader is what's going to – and the leadership, not just the one leader but the leadership, the character and integrity is what is going to make a a rock-solid foundation built upon our Savior and, and, and all the rest of it is just a house of cards. When you say yeah. what your friend used to say at, at Liberty – what that screams to me is everybody knew that at some point this was going to implode.
2: Yeah. You know, when
1: I listened to the rise and fall of Mars Hill, what became clear is the people closest to that knew at some point
2: it was going
1: to implode. Yeah. And and if that's the situation your ministry is in uh, the school, whatever else it might be, run, run, run away or be there to make changes, but don't just let the status quo remain such a crazy article over Mm, vanity fair. I'm sure you could go find it. Well, coming up next, josh larson editor and film critic at think christian uh we've had him on many times we'd love to bring josh on to talk about uh the movies that are out there but also what should we as christians how should we view movies should we even be watching certain movies uh josh always gives such wisdom and we're excited to have him on next here on the common good am 1160 hope for your life Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. And Aubrey and I are thrilled to be joined uh, by one of the friends of the show. He is an editor and film critic at Think Christian, also the host and producer of the Think Christian podcast and co-host of uh, the podcast Film Spotting. Uh, he is Josh
3: Larson. Josh, how are you doing today, bud? Doing just fine. Thanks to you both for having me back. Always yeah. fun to talk to you, too. It absolutely is. We love having you on. And let's, for people who haven't heard
1: you before with us, uh, let's start with the organization. Tell us about Think Christian and and why, uh, I feel like it's so important because it's engaging pop culture, it's engaging movies, but why would you tell people that's an important thing for us as Christians to be doing?
3: You know, I've been thinking about this within the context of the larger ministry I work for, which is Reframe Ministries, and we have multiple um non-English language ministries that we put out there all across the world. And when you oh, think wow. about it, pop culture is really its own language. Mm-hmm. Um, you're speaking in specific terminology within a specific context. And so that's what we're trying to do at Think Christian is speak to those Committed believers um, who take their faith seriously, live it out in their daily life, but also love movies, love music, Mm -hmm. love television. That's a big part of their lives as well. And we just look for areas where those two things inter inter overlap, you know, where Mm -hmm. you see God's story reflected in some of the pop culture, or you see it challenged in ways that we want to wrestle with and talk our way through. So through the podcast, through the website, thinkchristian.net, we provide a space for pop culture fans who are Christians to do that.
2: No, it's so fantastic. It's one of the reasons that we love having you on. And um, so, Josh, it's award season. Brian's been talking about the Super Bowl, but I feel like I finally get to talk about my Super Bowl, which is the Oscars. There you go. Do you have any guesses on what will be nominated for Best Picture?
3: Boy, you know, the Oscars always throw me for a loop because I have to remember to set aside my critics brain a little Mm -hmm. bit and realize that what Oscar voters are often looking for is maybe something a little different. I think this has shifted in recent years as they have brought a little more diversity into the Oscar voting base. But generally they like, you know, prestige pictures, uh, historical epics, those sorts of things. They've always liked musicals, and we have one of those this year from none less than Steven Spielberg with West Side Story. So I think that is, you know, going to be a clear contender. Um, They love Shakespeare, and we have a Shakespeare adaptation, The Tragedy of Macbeth. From Joel Cohen, who is an Oscar favorite from his work with his brother Ethan, films like mm. Fargo, No Country for Old Men. So I wouldn't be surprised if that gets some attention as well. Um, but then you do have period pictures um, like Belfast, which is Kenneth Branagh's fictionalization of his own childhood growing up in Ireland, something like that. Or biopics are always hits too, right? So think about King Richard, uh, the biopic of mm. um, the father of Venus and Serena Williams. Mm. Um, that seems like the sort of thing Oscar voters go for now those last two I haven't seen Belfast or King Richard so it's hard for me to speak to them but I know those kinds of movies are the ones Oscars usually like
1: Yep. Uh, all right. I'm going to leave West Side Story for Aubrey because I, I think she'll want to talk about that. Let me ask you about a movie that uh, at least amongst my friends is just getting uh, annihilated. People are telling me it's terrible. I have not seen it, uh, but I think it does speak to um, sequels and things like trying to recreate something. That being the Matrix Resurrection. So, mm. A, what did you think about that movie if you saw it? And what does it
3: tell us about the difficulty of trying to bring something back? So the great thing about The Matrix Resurrections is it's very much exactly about that question. You know, this is a film that um, the creators behind it were um, from what they've said, a little reluctant to revisit it. Sounded like Warner Brothers, the studio was going to do it anyway. So that's one of the things they're wrestling with Lana Wachowski here is wrestling with how can we do this in a way that honors the the previous films um, yet still uh, moves forward in an interesting way. Now, I'm I'm sorry to hear that, Brian, that uh, you're friends haven't enjoyed it, I thought the movie did both things really well. It kind of revisited that question Mm. by we can't get into it, but basically setting up that the original three films were really a video game that Keanu Reeves character invented. Yeah. So that kind of reframes things for you. And then it moved forward and explored, okay, what does it mean for these characters, uh, Neo and the Carrie-Anne Moss character that been, has been so beloved? What does this new reality mean for them? I thought it was really well handled. Maybe the action isn't as great as what we got in the original Matrix. That was a little bit of a disappointment. But man, we are awash in sequels that mm-hmm. don't think as much about why they're a sequel as this film does and i think that's yeah. to its credit.
2: Ah, uh, they're very interesting, Brian. You'll have to tell that to some of your friends and yeah. see what their yeah. feedback is. Okay, i do Brian's right. I do want to dive into West Side Story and what I, I'll tell you what I appreciated, and then I'll just love to hear your your criticism in general, Josh. But I appreciated that it, quote unquote, fixed some of the problems, not all of them. But I feel like Steven Spielberg did a good job of of solving some like more cringy moments from the older movie or, or some of the productions sure. we've seen in high school. But generally, what's your opinion about West Side Story?
3: Oh, it was so fun seeing that in the theater. I mean, Wasn't I'm a big great? fan. Oh, it was so fun. It's kind of one of those where you just feel, you know, people are almost levitating out of their seats because yeah. it's the power of the filmmaking. It's someone like Spielberg, really for the first time, tackling the musical genre and just knowing where to put the camera, how to move it or not move it to mm-hmm. capture these production numbers. And because to me, the original, the strength of the original was the choreography, Jerome Robbins there. And I think what they've done here is carry that largely over by making some tweaks, but really Respecting that strength. So we get some amazing choreography, some fantastic performances from Broadway veterans. It wasn't quite so high on Ansel Elgort as the male lead, but the other people around him, I think, are really good. And to that question you raised, Aubrey, about fixing some of these issues. Um, We have a piece that's going to be up in the next week or so at thinkchristian.net by Emmanuel Padilla, who really digs into that. Um, What are some of the cultural issues that the original had? How can they be looked at in a new way today? And how might Spielberg and his team, not necessarily being people from that background, have failed? And then, of course, because we're Think Christian, uh, Emmanuel does a great job of bringing in what what sort of Christian response can we bring to this cultural insensitivity when we see it? Mm. Yeah, yeah. And Josh, let me go big picture about
1: movies in general, because we've asked you this before, but I think it's really helpful. You know, the vast majority of people who listen to our show, they're Christian, uh, they're part of the church. And I think uh, Christians struggle with like, how much should I watch movies? Uh, are they, you know, what should my standards be? What should they be for kids? You're someone who thinks about movies a lot and, and think about all these Christians across the spectrum. I, I guess, uh, how do you deal with that question? Like Christians, we shouldn't watch anything that's, you know, not PG or whatever sure. else versus we can watch anything because we have to be part of the culture and understand what's going out out there. How do you answer
3: that when people ask you that question? It's a great question. It's the one of discernment, right? And Mm -hmm. I usually answer in a couple different ways. Um, Basically, it's very hard to provide a hard and fast rule like that, like only PG movies. If you find that's helpful for raising your kids, Mm -hmm. totally get it. Makes a lot of sense. But as you mature in your faith and uh, grow older and want to explore culture more broadly... I think you have to remember two things. Discernment is personal. And so that means what may be a stumbling block for you in your faith journey doesn't necessarily mean it is for a fellow Christian. So Mm -hmm. keep that in mind. And the other thing is that we deceive ourselves in our own personal discernment. So that may seem to work against what I just said, Mm. but, you know, we're not always our best. We're not always the most honest to ourselves about what is helpful for us to watch. And so I also emphasize doing discernment in community, and that can look mm-hmm. a couple of ways. It can look like a, a spouse who watches some of these things with you. It can look like a very good friend. Um, it can look like a church movie club. I love it when I hear that churches have movie clubs because those are great places to wrestle with some of the content mm-hmm. that is challenging and difficult, but you're doing it with a place in a place where people are going to hold each other accountable and say, why are we watching this? Is there some value to what we've seen, even though it was difficult? Or is this something that was exploitative and maybe we wished we hadn't watched that? Mm-hmm. I think that's okay. Mm-hmm. And then it's also okay to remember um, we're a people of grace. So if you feel that way at the end, God gives you the grace to say, eh, bad pick that time. I'll do yeah. better going forward.
2: Yeah, that's good. That's a really good word. And Josh, speaking of watching movies in community, you have the Think Christian Movie Club and uh, something's coming up on February 27th. Am I right about that?
3: Yep. I think that is the date for our next gathering. And this has been really great. We are at the Midway Point. So uh, it's basically an online discussion group, and we've been following the films of the Coen brothers. So I mentioned The Tragedy of Macbeth earlier. We've chosen four films. We've done two already, Fargo and O Brother, Where Art Thou? And next up on February 27, a Sunday afternoon, 2 p.m. Central is going to be an online discussion of No Country for Old Men. Speaking of the Oscars, one of their best picture winners. Um, Speaking of challenging films, a lot of violence, a lot of darkness in that movie. Um, But we're considering it, as we have been all these films, within an Old Testament, New Testament framework. Um, Hmm. What sort of themes do these movies bring to mind and how might we place them in that framework? And if you want kind of a sneak peek, I've been making video essays on the Think Christian YouTube channel for each film. The No Country for Old Men video essay is up there right now. So just search for the Think Christian for Think Christian on YouTube, and you'll find those video essays. You'll find our podcast too, and that'll prepare you for that February 27 gathering if you want to be a part of it. And to do that quickly, go to thinkchristian.net slash movie club. That way we can get your email and we'll send you the invite for the meeting with the Zoom link for that. So that's thinkchristian.net slash movie club. Awesome. John Lars- Josh Larson is uh, editor and film critic at
1: Think Christian, host and producer of the Think Christian podcast, also the co-host of the Film Spotting podcast. You can find out much more at thinkchristian.net and thinkchristian.net. You can also connect with Josh on Twitter at Larson on Film. That's at Larson on Film. Josh, we always love having you on. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Thanks again to you both. We'll hopefully talk again down the line. Absolutely. You're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us today. One thing that strikes me as both surprising and odd about David French is that people get so mad about David French. Uh, he, he seems to be the poster child of something, uh, within, uh, you know, evangelical Christianity yeah. or right way or, you know, uh, Republican politics or whatever else it might be. Um, you know, he was very clearly, I'm, I'm a, a, a never Trump guy. And so right. he got a lot of right. and da- David has told us on air and off, uh, the, the craziness that has happened to his family and other things through the last you know, six, seven years. But he uh, writes often at the French press. We love the name of that blog, the French press at yep. the dispatch. In this past week, Aubrey, he wrote this about our politics. He said the cult of ideology versus the cult of personality. The most important clashes aren't between right and left, but within right and left. Hmm. Uh, He says, he says this, do you ever read an idea and feel enlightened and envious at the same time? You simultaneously think, I think about that by the way, as a pastor all the time, you simultaneously think, aha, that's insightful. And dang, I've been sniffing around this concept and haven't quite nailed it. Like he did. In this instance, it's a concept that helps explain both the deep dysfunction of our political system and the deep discomfort that so many people of goodwill on both sides of our political spectrum feel with their political with our political culture. Hmm. It is summed up in this tweet by a sharp lawyer I follow who tweets under the name A.G. Hamilton. And the tweet basically just said, um, you know, that that it is. Uh, The problem with both parties right now is a cult issue. uh, Politicians are self-interested weather vanes that pander. uh, And and he goes on to say that it's trying to pander to a cult of personality while elected Democrats are trying to pander to a cult of ideology. And the whole point is this, uh, that right now um, there is this cult of personality particularly in the Republican Party, that that we all know what what he means by that. But but you see people trying to stand out as personalities and trying to get the blessing of certain personalities. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and on the Democrat Party, it seems to be a little bit different. It's not a cult of personality, it's a cult of ideology. You're not liberal enough. You're not progress. And there's this run to be like, no, I'm ideologically progressive enough. I'm ideologically liberal enough, whether that's their history or not. And his point is, this is going on rather than there being a debate of ideas, uh, mm. an ability to reach across the aisle and kind of work with each other, mm. that there's never any compromise. And that this cult of personality and cult of ideology, all that it's done is push us to the polls politically. And I don't mean polls as in voting polls, but like the extremes. And that we don't actually have now a functioning political system anymore. And yeah. we see that in how little v- things get passed, how little voting gets on, uh, how much time people spend on, on you know cable news, kind of just being seen to become a personality. Uh, and that in, in many ways, Aubrey, our political system just doesn't work anymore uh, because of how this is. I do want to get into eventually what that means for the rest of us. Uh, and for the church. But do you think he's kind of nailed that right
3: there?
2: You know, I... I I think I would not have been able to put it in such uh, uh, elegant terms as French does, but I do feel like, just personally, I have felt like sort of like a political alien. Like, Uh I don't know where I belong. I don't know where I fit because I do feel, you know, strongly uh, about injustices in this world that one party seems to lean itself more towards, but then I'm pro-life, which another party, you know, and and other things. I mean, those are just examples, but like, I feel like I don't know where I am politically. Who represents me? Nobody does. And I think that's because of what he's talking about here. Like it's like, and this is from the article, but uh that the the right is now becoming like trying to move on from Trump by becoming more aggressive than Trump. Mm. The left is trying to get more people by becoming more idealistic in a way that's almost legalistic. Like that's almost like a new legalism. And I it's like there's no nuance. There's no middle ground. There's no like you were talking about, like French is talking about um, just being able to have different ideas. Instead, it's like you need to be one of two dangerous extremes, mm-hmm, period, mm-hmm. in order to garner favor and attention. I think part of that is because that's what social media rewards. And so then you go up in the algorithms, you go up in popularity, like there's a whole system backing this. And I don't know the answer to it because I don't know that, like you said, the politics seems to be just so broken Mm. that it's hard to know how to find our way forward for those of us who who feel like I'm not extreme one way or the other. I'm very moderate. Who represents me? I don't know.
1: Yeah. And and you're seeing one of his points is that you're seeing this within uh, the church. So think about what happened at the uh, Southern Baptist Convention this year and just how people were saying. That the elected president, Ed Litton, uh, wasn't conservative enough. He wasn't out there. And and by all uh, metrics, he was a conservative Baptist preacher, right? (laughs) Like he was J.D. Greer the same way. Yeah. Uh, And uh, yeah, it, it leaves, it used to feel like the majority of politicians in our world, not just the majority of politicians, but the majority of people in my life were more moderately Republican or moderately Democrat, and that you had the really strong people on either side were kind of the outliers. And, and David French's point here is that that's not the case anymore. Uh, and so therefore, you know, the ideological left, they're pushing so hard that that when you feel like a moderate Republican, you still feel like, you know, you're going to be canceled or you're you're not this. And, and there's this spotlight on you. And you're like, I never, I don't think I'm an extreme person. Like, I just right, don't think Right, that. right, right. But we still are. And Aubrey, I think what we have to get to then is the danger of this within the church Mm. Uh, that we're constantly holding people up to these extremes and that that we don't know what to do. I've always felt that we as Christians need to model what it looks like to disagree without being disagreeable, to be able to listen, to be able to debate, but not, you know, cancel people, all of these things. I've always kind of felt like that as the Christ follower, That's kind of in our political discourse and in our church discourses and and in the name of unity. That's kind of what we should be.
2: Mm, Yeah, I I think you're exactly right. We almost like this is the moment for the Christians to rise up and set the example for the rest of the world, frankly, of Mm -hmm. what it looks like to be able to say, hey, I'm not going to be totally extreme this way or that way. I'm not even saying middle ground is the answer. What I'm saying is the things that God has called me to the things that Jesus stood for or what I'm going to stand for, no matter what a political party Mm -hmm. does or does Mm -hmm. not And I'm going to choose nuance and I'm going to choose, um, discourse with honor rather than tearing people apart. I, I And we've said this before in the show, so this isn't necessarily new, but it's like, again, I keep going back to like, the bottom line seems to be just like, be a decent human being. <laughs> and I feel like that's like, yeah. yeah, what we tell our little kids at school to do is and if that can happen, I, I, I'm i not saying it's going to solve all of this political nonsense, but mm-hmm. uh, at least we'll be taking a stand for the witness of Jesus in a, in a refreshing way.
1: Yeah. Uh, David French ends his post this way. He said, we can and should find purpose and meaning in our discontent, in our sense that we don't truly, quote, fit with either of America's most aggressive political and cultural factions. It's that discontent given voice and put into practice that can rescue us from the cults of ideology and personality, the Mm. movements that are ripping our families, our communities and our nations apart. Such good Mm. words there from David, basically saying one of the first things we need to do is recognize these kind of forces that are at play on both sides uh, and, and understand what are most of us rational people going to do in the middle? Like what are we going to do? Another good word there from David French. You're listening to the Common Good, AM 1160, hope for your life.
2: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host Brian Fromm. We're so glad that you're with us on this Friday evening. Um, Brian, there's a lot of fun plans we probably have this weekend. I'm guessing neither of us are going to be (laughs) using recreational marijuana this weekend. Is that fair to say? Nice segue. That was a
1: wonderful segue. I did appreciate that. No, uh, uh, that is not in my plans. That is for sure. That is the truth.
2: Okay. Okay. Well, good. I'm glad that that's we have that stated. You and I will not be doing marijuana. You didn't answer the
1: question. Over the weekend? No,
2: I will not be using marijuana over the weekend. I'll just make that really clear. Now, Monday might be just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. Okay. So here's why. Here's why I bring that topic up. I know it sounds a little bit random, but over at Relevant Magazine, our friend Tyler Huckabee shared an article saying that okay, 1969. Pew began asking people how they felt about marijuana legalization, and only 12% of Americans thought weed should be legalized. But now we're in 2022; 67% in favor are in favor of marijuana legalization today. This group includes Christians. Mm-hmm. 60% of Protestants say weed should be legalized. 53% of Catholics say weed should be. Legalized, And even evangelicals, generally the most conservative U.S. demographic, support legalization, but just over 50 percent. So that's a pretty narrow margin. But more and more people, the point is uh, saying that weed should be decriminalized. And Tyler mm-hmm. Huckabee says that there are several reasons for this. Compared to other substances, experts consider marijuana to be fairly safe, uh, non-physically addictive. Um, it, It proves to be a huge boost economically to states like Colorado, even Oregon, California, Washington, and New York, which are following suit in legalizing marijuana. And then, this is a little bit wild... But some Christians have even started getting high as a spiritual experience. So Uh part of their spiritual growth. Now, there are other pastors like Dr. Russell Moore, who you and I like. We talked about on the show before he opposes marijuana use. Um, He talks about friends who've been harmed by marijuana culture. Four out of five pastors agree with him. So it's not like this massive amount of pastors are starting to say, yes, use marijuana. But I'm going to say something.
1: Oh, I'm ready.
2: There are a lot of people in my life of various ages. Okay, so I'm talking, this isn't just millennial or Gen Z. This is even like boomer generation who are all for the use of recreational marijuana, especially mm. if uh, it's a medical thing. Now, that's right. maybe a different conversation than medical right. That takes the
1: recreational out of it. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah,
2: yes. yeah. Okay, so that's a, a different category. So, okay, maybe let's take the conversation away from medical, just recreational. Brian, you're pastoring your church. <laughs> they ask you, let, let's say, like, this is coming to the forefront in Illinois the church is asking you to to draw a line in the sand. What do you think about can Christians smoke weed or chew gummies or however people are using it nowadays? The young folks are using it nowadays. Right, right, right. Uh, what do you say pastorally?
1: Yeah, Carrie and I were just having this conversation the other day about how. Uh, how much more, it, it, how hard it is to get used to smelling marijuana much more right, frequently. Like right, we right. And
2: you really do. You drive down the road, you smell it.
1: Not even, I mean, we went out to dinner out here in the suburbs, you know, this, that, and we walked out and the person next to our car, in their car, and you're like, that oh, is such okay. a strong smell. You're yeah. just like, and her and I were just like, I, I, it's just so hard to get used to. Yeah, right? But, uh, you know, I think there's a couple different ways to talk about this, Aubrey. One is, uh, why is there a difference in the age groups? And I think a lot of it has to do with legalization. So, it's, for you and I, when we were growing up, especially in the church, it was like—at least, at least my uh, my background of it was. This was like an un you couldn't even have this conversation right right right. absolutely so far gone Uh, but i you know what i talk to my kids or i talk to people in that generation a younger generation they start going well how is it different than alcohol Mm -hmm. what exactly is the difference uh why is it treated and so you start having those conversations i still will always land and part of this could just be my upbringing i will still land where russell moore lands that it's not a good idea
2: yeah yeah
1: uh am i going to label it as you know Am I going to rank my, you know, the drug use of people and say which one's worse? I, I don't right. think I need to do that. Um, I don't also think that a large consumption of alcohol is a good idea. Yeah, so I yeah. do think that there is an, a discussion to be had between alcohol and and pot. Yeah, uh, but I think it's become so normalized that parents and churches are going to need to get their arms around with what exactly to say. I've had this conversation with many, with not many, but people in our church who. Uh, especially around gummies and cannabis and this and that are just like, you know, I don't see an issue. In fact, it it does this or it brings in this revenue. And and so you do understand the conversation. I'm probably always going to be slow to the game here on this one yeah. and land more with a Russell Moore going. I don't, while I while it's not illegal uh, often, you know, all the time now, I still don't know that it's wise. And I yeah. would say the same thing about other things that are maybe aren't illegal. Yeah. I think there's a wisdom, but, I'm not sure anymore that it's a hill for me to die on or that it's even a hill for the church to die on. And that might be hard for some people to hear, uh, but I'm not sure that it is. So probably how I talk about it in my own home might be different than how I talk about it
2: Mm. uh, on
1: the radio or from the pulpit or Mm. whatever. It it might look differently. I think there's a wisdom issue here versus a legality issue. uh, Mm. And that's probably where I would land. So uh, yeah,
2: I appreciate that. Cause then you're not getting totally legalistic, but just sort of like, is this a good is this a good use of like your stewardship of being a Christian? And I it's so I think what's hard for me, Brian, is I had a lot of friends in high school who were quote unquote potheads. Mm-hmm. And like they didn't do anything with their lives. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like they were just like getting the munchies and laying around Mm -hmm. and so it's it's so hard for me to justify any marijuana use as an adult because that's all I know it as and that just feels like no like that's no no not just the Christian but like why now again medically that's a different conversation but Mm -hmm. recreationally I I just I don't know, so I'm with you. It's so hard for me because it was always criminal when we were growing up, right? right. And always just sort of like the the like pothead kids. It's so (laughs) hard for me to like see it in a different light, you know. But I guess if you do push back and say, "Okay, well then, how is it different than sipping wine? How is it different than having a drink after work?" Right. That's when you go, "Okay, maybe maybe the conversation is about." the what wisdom is it wise to use marijuana versus is it right or wrong right and then obviously how much like and I'm talking in the case of legalization obviously. Mm-hmm. If it's illegal, mm-hmm. don't do it. Period. Mm-hmm. Like that's yeah. not a question. But um if it's legal, yeah, is it a question of how much? Is it a question of how it's impacting the rest of your life? Is it a question of like how it's impacting the people around you probably? And then how it influences your kids if they see or know. I mean, you know, there's just a whole lot of layers to this, but it is wild, I think.
1: I do think to I,
2: have I, the conversation. Go ahead.
1: I agree with you. I agree with you. And I do think as someone and I think you're a lot the same way who doesn't smoke pot and also doesn't drink a lot of alcohol. Yeah. I think especially as legality only increases going forward. Yeah. Uh, I do think that that we are going to end up needing to speak of marijuana uh, and and the – you know, whatever. However, we're going to talk about it. I think we do need to lump it much more into how we talk about alcohol. Yeah, how the we good talk point. About heroin. or, yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah. And I think if the the less we talk about marijuana in terms of like these other hard drugs, the more our kids and the next generation and other people will listen to us. They're just going to be like, you don't understand it. Right. Though. Right. And so I do think, Aubrey, I have no problem with people drinking wine or whatever yeah. else. But but I do think that we probably spend too little time talking about. Uh, the dangers can mm. be not everything that's legal is good or yeah. being in 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 moderation or whatever else it might be. But I do think one of the takeaways for me in this next generation is I do think we're going to speak of marijuana and alcohol much more than rather than marijuana and cocaine.
2: Yeah, no, heroin. that's good. I think Which is right quite frankly that.
1: how it was talked about when I was a kid. Like yep. all the yep. drugs were lumped together. yeah. And it feels like marijuana is being pulled away from that yep. and now kind of being lumped with alcohol or other things. And I think we we can have honest conversations about that as well.
2: Yeah, I think that's a that's a really good point, a really wise point. Well, tell us what you think. Are you for or against the legalization of marijuana? If you want to, I don't know if you feel like you can say that publicly, but you can go on our social media at common good talk and let us know your thoughts about that. Well, coming up next, we are doing our favorite thing to do during the week. It is a top five list. Can't wait to tell you what we're going to talk about when we return. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host Brian Fromm. And we love to do this part of uh, every Friday, and that is our top five list. Top five, top five, top five, top five, top five things with Brian and Aubrey. All right, Brian. So. Um, Top five This is a really good one Kind of a dark one But I think our people Are going to like it Okay Top five Fictional deaths That's right That most Affected you
0: I just died Under arms Tonight
2: this can be movies, this can be books, this can be TV shows, this can be, I, I guess, podcasts. I don't know what other categories you want to, but fictional deaths that most affected you. So, affected you the first time you saw or read them and maybe are still impacting you today. Okay. For, for both of us, we said this was really hard for us to narrow down.
1: Yeah, and mine, I, became, mine came all movies, just oh, to give you a heads up. Oh, interesting. Okay. Mine are, because when I went through the TV lists... It was just full of shows that I've never watched. Okay, I realized fair. I'm like I just kind of watch Seinfeld and The Office and there's yeah. not a lot of death. Not a lot of those. deaths
2: in those shows. Yeah.
1: Yep, and the, the important thing to remember is these are fictional. Yes. And uh and just kind of the ones that shook us when we yep. saw them the yep. first time and maybe yep. when you see them on replay. So this is a fun one. Kind of this dark a,
2: but a kind fun. Kind of one. dark but fun. Okay, yep. Brian, are you ready you want to give your number five first?
1: I am going with number five, uh Ellie from the movie
2: <gasps> Up. Uh yes. Ellie will be on my honorable mention. That was a pretty devastating loss.
1: Such that first thirty minutes of, oh,
2: up man. Killer. Is
1: one of the greatest like <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. Is it Disney Pixar? I don't forget yeah, what is, but it's that is one of the best thirty minutes of Pixar. Oh, ever.
2: It is so like uh, gut wrenchingly good. If
1: you're married and you watch that beginning of Up, you just can't <laughs> help but not just be a puddle of tears. It's that, so it?
2: true. Yep, it's so true. All right. So yours was Ellie from Up. Okay, my number five. This is going to sound a little funny, but this did wreck me. Because the actor who pulled this off did such a great job. Wilson from Cast Away.
0: Wilson! I'm sorry! I'm
2: sorry, Wilson! When that volley... I actually get
1: what you're saying there. (laughs) You know,
2: when that volleyball left Tom Hanks and he grieved, I grieved. Like, I still am not over that.
1: I I I when you first said that I was like nope, oh, nope, timeout, nope. but I actually get that I'm yeah. gonna allow that one that was yeah. a good one
2: yeah all, all right, right Brian what's your number four my number four is uh,
1: the there are two deaths in the same book slash movie I've only okay. seen the movie yep. so I, I felt okay linking them because they're kind of tied together okay like I have one of, of those too
2: so well, it'll be interesting to see if it's the same
1: all right mine is from the the book is older than this but the movie came out in the uh, in the eighties from the movie The Outsiders. Uh-huh. John Johnny and Dally Come on Johnny, don't die
0: Come on Come on Johnny, don't die me now
2: Johnny is actually on my uh, honorable mention list as well. The killer when Johnny
1: dies in that fire
2: oh. and then
1: Dally just freaks out and oh. goes running and gets shot by the police yes. by yes. the fountain. I yes. mean, that'll wreck you when oh, you watch that. That will destroy you. Oh, I'll never forget watching that when I was younger, going, What? Do it for yes. Johnny, man. Yeah. Do it for Do Johnny. It for Johnny, <laughs> I forgot about that.
2: Oh man, that was a that was a very good one, Brian. Well done. All right. That um is not the same as the the, the duo that i have later on but that's okay. okay all right my number four is Sirius black from harry potter
1: understood yes and i did not I, my list but i get that one
2: yeah just i you know when harry lost sort of his only parental figure and he was so cool and i love i love gary oldman's portrayal of him that just killed me it still kills me when i when i reread the books or rewatch the movies So okay all right what's your number three
1: Number three, and if anyone uh, disputes this one, I will claim that you have either not watched it or you do not have a heart. Uh, <laughs> okay, okay. This. I will remember. I remember for some unknown reason, an elementary school teacher showed us this movie in oh. class. Oh, and it was all you know. Then you're in like fifth or fourth grade, and you're like, I can't cry in front of the other kids, but like you're feeling it coming. <laughs> yeah, up and you're doing. Yeah. Uh this is and I'm just going to say this name and there's okay. going to be people who start crying in their in their cars Okay right okay Old yeller
2: There's no hope for him now Travis He's suffering You know we've got to do it
0: I know mama
2: <clears throat> He was my dog <clears throat> I'll do it. Oh, yes, of course, Old, old Yeller.
1: Yeller, man, have to put that dog down. Yep,
2: yep. Oh, I mean, that's so sad. It's if so you don't sad. cry
1: at that moment of Old Yeller, I would, su- I would question your salvation. That's yeah, it. I would just go to those ones.
2: <laughs> yep, that's a good one, Brian. That's a really good one. Okay, Old Yeller. All right, number three. Mine is a mine's a newer death, but still rocks me every time I watch these movies. Tony Stark from mm, the, the Avengers. F- and that was a big spoiler alert if you haven't seen the last Avengers movie. But that one gets me every time.
0: Mrs. Stark, you hear me? We won. Mrs. Stark. We won, Mrs. Stark.
1: Going to find its way probably onto my honorable mention list. Oh, as, okay, as show. okay. Uh, yes, I, I knew we'd get at least one. And there might be more coming. But I knew we'd get some something from the yeah. Marvel world from you. Yeah, we had to. Okay, where are we at? Number two? Yep. All right. This one. This one. Oh, these next two. Uh, From Top
2: Gun. Oh. Go-
0: <laughs> Goose.
2: Yeah, I-, I thought about Goose from Top Gun. I didn't, you know, as a woman, I wasn't as impacted by that movie as as other men typically are, but my husband would have put Goose from Top Gun as well.
1: So he's such a lovable character. And he yeah. ends up, Yeah. You know, what's it, Anthony Edwards is his name, I yes. believe. He ends up yep. dying in ER, too. Uh, oh, but that's right. But... You here's what makes the goose death so hard and they kind of needed something like that in that movie to move it along. Yeah. But you don't see him dying coming. Like yes, there's the spin out. Shock. There's the, you know, he ejects but the roof doesn't go up and he goes and you're like, well clearly goose is going to be okay. Like clearly this and all of a sudden they're at his funeral and you're just like,
2: what happened? They just
1: kill off Goose yeah. and I'm like 9 years old at the time. <laughs> and Goose dies and you're just like, and then the music gets sad and, and, and you know, Maverick yeah. being Tom Cruise kind of goes off the edge. Yeah. Goose. Goose. Yeah, yes. That's
2: a good one. That's a really good one, Brian. Okay. But this is my uh, number two. This is my couple because these deaths go okay. together kind of like your number four. But this has to be the greatest tragedy of all time, Romeo and Juliet. Mm. And it's one of my favorite plays by Shakespeare. And I love the movie of Leonardo DiCaprio. And when those two die, man, every time I'm like, no, you don't have to die.
3: But then yes, they do. So that's that,
2: that's my number two. Yep. All right. Uh, let's go honorable mentions, Brian, before we do our number ones, because you and I both have a long list of honorable we mentions.
1: We do. So one that didn't make my honorable mention, but you just mentioned Leonardo DiCaprio is Jack in Titanic.
2: Yes, that's a good one. Yep. So that's not going
1: to make my list. Have you ever heard? I want you to do a deep dive if you've never done it before uh, that that questions why rose did not let him on oh yeah floor. oh
2: yeah of course that's a big I, I once found a
1: website where they actually measured it out and they, <laughs> they put <in laughs> his outline and how easily he could have fit on that and it's uh, it's disturbing rose might have kind of wanted to get rid of jack there wow. i'm just saying
2: wow that's that makes things go a little bit dark in titanic all right but, so who are your honorable mentions
1: uh tony stark i had him yep. on there good Uh, From Forrest Gump, you would think I went Jenny. I didn't. I went Bubba. I went Bubba.
2: Oh, Bubba. I forgot that Bubba died. When
1: Bubba dies, I went to him. Uh, From The Lion King, Mufasa.
2: Oh, wow. That's good. Okay.
1: And finally, this is a random one from Shawshank Redemption when Brooks, the older man, hangs himself.
2: Oh, so
1: after he gets out,
2: totally forgotten that happened. And then Kevin rewatched it with our oldest son, and I was like, Oh yeah, I watched
1: it with my older daughter like uh, right before Christmas, Uh, and he's like, Oh Brooks, oh uh, Brooks. Okay, okay,
2: those are honorable mentions for you. All right, so I've already said Ellie from Up, Johnny from um, The Outsiders. Uh, I would add Matthew Cuthbert from Anne of Green Gables. Never seen it, and then. Um, I would also add in – I don't know if you ever watched the show Game of Thrones because nope. most Christians won't say that they watched it. I did watch it. <laughs> and there was this whole episode called The Red Wedding. I think that, that may have I've not been it, the yes. name of the episode, it but was, that's what it is. Yes. And like all your favorite characters were killed off in one scene. <laughs> and it was so <laughs> shocking and so devastating. And then that show kind of became the show that just like killed off everybody, including everybody. little children so that one in particular was really devastating, but anyway. All right, Brian, your number, number one. one fictional death that most affected you.
1: This once I say it, this will not surprise you. Yeah, uh, this will not surprise you. My number one out of one of my favorite movies, Rocky IV, the boxing death of Apollo Creed.
3: This
0: fight's finished. I gotta call it. you can't do no more out there. to fight He's killing you. I gotta stop this thing. gotta fight. Promise me. We're not going stop this fight
2: forget that apollo creed dies and it's so shocking to me yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's very yeah that's a good one that's very you all right my number one is from one of my favorite movies and favorite books beth from little women i am not afraid i can be brave like you
0: but i know i shall be homesick for you even in heaven
1: Mm, never seen it, but I can, what? Heard, I have heard that that is uh, a difficult one to stomach. Yeah, it's to, it's
2: pretty, pretty, pretty painful. All right. Well, that is our top five list of fictional deaths that most affected us. Let us know what you think, what we missed, who we missed. And uh, yeah, go ahead and cry with us. We'll mourn together a little <laughs> bit on this Friday. Well, coming up next, we've got something really, really fun that I'm going to let Brian explain to you when we return. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.
1: Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more
3: weird stuff we found on the web.
2: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm, and it is the end of our show. It is the end of our week. One of our favorite things to do at the end of every show is to leave you with something challenging, inspiring, or just entertaining, something to put a smile on your face and um, we're about to do something that I am brand new to, Brian, but I am yes, very, are. very excited. So I'm going to just hand the mic over to you and let you explain to our listeners what's happening.
0: Here
1: here, here we go. For the first two years of our show, uh, Ian and I would end every show with something that we called kickers inside. Okay. Like, that's how we referred to them. But they were basically this. Uh, our executive producer, Keith Conrad, he would go and find just the craziest stories <laughs> he could find on the Internet. Things okay. that are... Are, are gross, or hilarious, yes. or surprising, yes. or whatever else it might be, and the more the more random, the better. We do not look at them before we read them, okay? And then we just read them and react. And so okay. we stopped doing this when COVID hit, because especially early on in COVID, it felt kind of weird to be kind of laughing about some of these things but i said to keith the other day oh it's time it it might (laughs) be the time
2: has come to bring back the kickers
1: and ian and i used to do it every day i'm not sure we will do that but at least once a week or so in the beginning and we'll see how it goes but aubrey that's the goal and so i'll I'll do the first one i think we got four or five of them here here we go this is out of italy Oh, okay. The 19-year fight over loud toilet is finally (laughs) over.
0: What?
1: Back in 2003, somebody flushed a toilet in the middle of the night in Italy, and the couple in the neighboring apartment thought, boy. That was loud. 19 years later, that couple near La La Spazia, Italy, has finally won their legal case against the neighbors for too loud flushing at night, reports the Times of London. The case reached the nation's highest court, which cited principles laid out by the European Court of (laughs) Human Rights in deciding for the couple. The toilet was not only loud, it was reportedly used often, quote, (laughs) aggravated by frequent night use, is how the court... Uh, did it. The wow. judges ruled that the flushing compromised the couple's quality of life. Four brothers owned the apartment with the loud toilet and they installed a water tank. The, Italy's Supreme Court ordered the brothers to move the tank and Come pay on. the couple about $565 for every year that it was in place. Wow. Hey. That will amount to roughly $10,700 for the couple. So they won their their decades long fight over wow. the toilet. <laughs>
2: The Loud Toilet. That is a fan. I hope there's a movie about that. That is fantastic. (laughs) All right. Here's another one. This is fun. I I can see why you guys did this. I like it. All right. This is from South Carolina. Police arrest Elsa as prime suspect (laughs) behind winter storm. After a snowstorm froze over the eastern portion of the United States, South Carolina police released body cam footage showing the arrest of a well-known ice queen. The rare footage showed Elsa from Disney's Frozen franchise reveling in the freshly fallen snow that blanketed the scenery around her. Then she spotted the police and ran. Okay, here's the good part. You ready, you ready for this? I'm ready. Freeze! Despite the poor choice of words, Elsa soon gave up the chase. Come on, guys, just let it go. She can be heard saying. No one was injured or severely frozen, the Pickens Police Department said on its Facebook page. Here's the funny part. Another funny part. Her accomplice, the abominable snowman, is still at large. <laughs> that is really
1: funny. Yeah, that was
2: actually something that apparently the police department used to, as a reminder for people to stay safe on the roads really while funny. driving. I know it's that's funny. funny. Elsa? Do you wanna build a snowman? No!
1: Alright, the next one, home state of Illinois. Here we oh, go. Alright. Oh, this is sad. White Castle cancels fine dining on <gasps> Valentine's Day. Oh no! Love at White Castle just got canceled. Thanks, Omicron. (laughs) The Burger Chain's restaurants in select markets have long held a special dining-in experience on February 14th for lovesick couples who want to remember their special day with $1 burgers and french fries.
2: Oh, what? I didn't know that was a thing. Okay, keep going.
1: In years past, White Castle would add a few romantic touches to its restaurant, transforming them into, quote, fine dining rooms, complete with reservations, hostess seating, table-side service, and plenty of festive red decor, rather than its usual no-frills, tiled floors, and blue and white tables the company said the unique setup drew as many as 30,000 people to participating regional locations in 2018 but as the highly contagious omicron surge continues white castle announced tuesday it won't be doing its event at all it is so sad there's a white castle relatively close that i drive past to our church and every year there's a sign out there for valentine's day
2: I had no idea that existed, and this makes me very sad that they're not doing it now that I know that it's a (laughs) thing. I would not necessarily want to go there, but I just like the idea that, like, in the world, some people are going to their fancy dinner at White Castle. That's cute. That's cute. According to my source, the end of the world will be on February 14th.
0: Valentine's Day.
2: Bummer. Okay, here's a story out of Missouri Alert system mistake warns Missouri residents, Joker is on the loose. The Missouri State Highway Patrol is reassuring the public that Batman villain Joker is not on the loose after a staff member sent an emergency alert mobile devices. Missouri residents received alerts from the Highway Patrol Tuesday warning citizens of (laughs) Gotham City to be on the lookout for a purple and green 1978 Dodge 3700 GT with license plate. You kid me a description that matches the vehicle used by Jack Nicholson as the Joker in the 1989 Batman film. The law enforcement agency explained in a Twitter post that the clown, the crown, excuse me, the clown prince of crime (laughs) is not on the loose in Missouri, which does not have a place called Gotham City. This was meant to be a test message. There was no alert, the highway patrol tweeted. The agency said the message was meant to be a routine test of Missouri's blue alert system. But during the around. test, an option was incorrectly selected, allowing the message to be disseminated to the public. <laughs> you could just
1: picture people just looking around going, uh, right, I, right. I know it's been crazy the last couple years. Let's check it out. Oh. All
2: right, last one. <laughs> last one. Okay.
1: North Carolina. North Carolina man's family of pranksters didn't believe his lottery win. Oh, a north carolina man said his family's tendency for pranking each other made it difficult to convince them he had won a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar lottery prize danny sims age 43 of Ellenboro, told north carolina education lottery officials he bought a 20x the cat 20 times the cash scratch off ticket in mooresboro it took me a while to realize i actually won something after the shock wore off i was so excited i had tears in my eyes Smith said that he initially thought he had won $25, but soon realized he had scored a $250,000 jackpot. I Dang. just froze and I said, oh my goodness, I thought it couldn't be real. It was so hard to believe. Sim said he tried to tell his family about his good fortune, but convincing them was telling that he was telling the truth turned out to be a near impossible task. See, we're pranksters, he said. We're always pranking each other. So they thought I was just messing with them. Oh, the lottery right. said his family will have to believe him when he uses some of his prize money to help pay off his stepfather's house money, money money
0: money
1: it ends with good news but we all have families like that don't we <laughs> we're like whatever i would never believe that aubrey your first run at kickers at keith's kickers if you will yeah what'd you think
2: Oh, I'm in. I am sold. Like We got to keep doing this. I think part of it, Brian, it reminds me of a little bit of your dad jokes just because yes. of the delivery. It's just so funny and just like, yeah, very entertaining. So thank you, Keith Conrad, for we making it, it happen and I hope we can bring that back. And we want to thank all of you for joining us today. We'll be back again on Monday from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian from I'm Aubrey Sampson. And you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life